Hello, and welcome to Heart Points, a one-to-one RPG actual play podcast. I am your husband and GM, Zach. I am your wife and player, Diana. And I am your husband and editor, Zach. And I am your wife and interviewer, Becky. And this is our 2018 PAX Unplugged retrospective. How are you doing, my friends? Oh, that was different. (laughs) It was! It was so exciting! So, as you can tell, we are being joined today by our wonderful friends, our editor and producer, Zach B., and our friend and Zach B.'s wife, Becky. And uh, we're going to be talking about our time at PAX Unplugged. Yes, but before we get started, how are the two of you? We're doing pretty well. I'm very excited to make my Hard Points debut today. Yeah, we're your yes. first guests, right? Yes! Yes! We as have, you should be. Uh, yes, I think only natural to have uh, the yes. two of you on as our first guests. Something that we've talked about wanting to do for a while, and this isn't really, I don't know, like proper guest episode because we're not doing a game, but yeah, first time having friends on the show. I consider this our interview for when we do play a game. Oh yeah, if okay. If this works out. Yeah, if it's, if it's good game. enough. <laughs> Maybe you can come back and we can play something. I'm okay with that. You need to show us how good you can be, though. This is a very rigorous test. It's not like we play RPGs with Zach B every other week. <laughs> well, now I'm now I'm like no pressure. Yeah. You put that on yourself. I know. <laughs> you put that stipulation on yourself. So it's been. By the time this episode comes out, I want to say two weeks since PAX Unplugged. No, one week. Just a week. Yeah, just one week since uh, PAX Unplugged 2018, the second ever PAX Unplugged, and the second time that Zach and I went, the first time that Diana went, uh, and the first time that Becky had to deal with all of us in her home uh, (laughs) coming in at all hours of the night. How was that, Becky? I had a wonderful weekend bonding with my cat, watching <laughs> rom-coms and making cookies. So I hope you guys had a great time at PAX. That sounds like probably a better time than was, we had, maybe. I was, I was going to say. say yeah. I actually am crazy jealous that that's how your weekend went. And I was surrounded by thousands of people. I know that uh, when I went for PAX Unplugged last year, Diana was very happy to have some time away from me. You're just everywhere all the time. In my space. I know. But the four of us are getting together to talk about our time. I think Becky is going to take on the role of interviewer and ask us some questions about what the three of us did at Unplugged. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to have you guys here with us. So thank you guys for joining us. Of course. Sure. And uh, is there anything that you guys want to talk about before we kind of get started with the interview? I don't think so. I don't think so. Ready to jump in. All right. Cool. So uh, take it away. I will give it to Becky. The podcast is in your hands now. Wow. Wow. This is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start out with a question for Diana. Yay. This is your first year going to PAX. What were your expectations going in and did it meet them? Okay. So I'd been to PAX East, which is massive. And most of it is completely not for me. And I've been to like professional conferences where... I'm more interested in what's going on, but regardless, all of those conferences involve lots and lots of people and being, like, crushed by those people, and I don't do well in large crowds of people. So I was expecting to hulk out several times over this weekend, and I didn't at all. Surprisingly, the the feel of this convention was much chiller. It was just much more calm, and I don't know if that's because 
of how I ended up spending my convention. I actually end up, ended up spending way more of my convention with Zach B than I did with Zach. Yes. <laughs> um, I spent so much more time with Zach B. But I, I don't know if that's why, because we kind of did s- slower paced things. But it was much more calming. And I wasn't as aggravated by this convention. <laughs> That's I don't good. mean I don't mean that negatively to the convention. I don't do well in large crowds of people and this is a convention. It has large crowds of people, but I I wasn't aggravated by it this year and I got a lot out of it. I was I was pretty excited about it. Which is interesting to me on a number of levels. I think we talked it about PAX Unplugged last year and I said about how um it was one of the best cons I'd ever gone to. I didn't have any problems with other people. Uh, and then I, it, you can hear in our PAX East retrospective, like how kind of frustrated we were with the crowds. This was my first PAX that I got legitimately angry at people. Really? Uh, there were a few people who I was kind of just like, why, why are you acting this way? People cutting in lines, just, uh, I don't know, some, some general rudeness. Well, that, that's not really the, like, as far as the logistics of the con went i thought it was much better than last year how they dealt with lines how they spread out the crowd i thought that was pretty good how individual people act around you is sort of hard yeah you're never gonna control that yeah for sure um but i agree also like the the layout and stuff was they improved on it so much they had so much more space to do things they had so much more like organization yeah i agree Thanks for the question, Becky. Sure. (laughs) So my next question is for Zach and Zach B. Since you both went last year, what were you most looking forward to going back this year? We spent a lot of time last year in games on demand, which was really cool. So I was looking forward to that, but we didn't actually do much of that at all this year, which was pretty interesting. I ran a couple games for games on demand, but we spent most of our time doing other things. And that's not there was just like other things to do. It was it had nothing to do with how they ran it or organized it or what games they were offering or anything. Yeah, for for me, the thing I was most looking forward to uh, was getting into con games. And weirdly enough, I didn't get into any games on demand games just because of the way my schedule worked out. But uh, I perhaps annoyingly made Diana and Zach show up every morning at eight a.m. Uh, so that I could get in line for the scheduled games, so that I could. I could play some con games uh, because specifically through games on demand, I've really enjoyed doing con games and and playing different games that I don't normally get a chance to play with people who I've never played with before. So the con games are the one thing that I was most looking forward to. I actually, I didn't go to any panels and I didn't plan on going any to any panels because specifically I wanted to get in a lot of con RPGs and try new games. I think the only other thing I had planned was the mega game, and that had been planned for pr- like several months. So I know you were very excited about that. I was very excited for the mega <laughs> and we'll game. We'll get to that. Oh, oh good, because okay. I, I yes. want to hear about the mega game. Good. Mm-hmm. Yes. So speaking of con games, probably the only time that you guys were in our house last weekend that I was awake <laughs> was Friday night mm-hmm. when we were all sitting around eating pizza, and you're telling me about you each played an RPG on Friday, but you each played a really different RPG. So can you tell us what game you played and how it went? Yeah, I don't remember what you guys played. What did y'all play? I want you to start so you can't talk over me when I talk about my amazing game that's going to take up a lot of time. Why would I talk over you? Um, so I played um, Masks for the first time. Masks uh, New Generation. And that is a Powered by the Apocalypse game in which you are playing teenage superheroes and they are dealing with 
uh, trying to be teenagers and trying to be superheroes uh, and everything that all those entail. It's very much like uh, like the CW shows. It's very much like old school Teen Titans or even like modern Runaways or Cloak and Dagger, which we watched mm. and really enjoyed. That's a game that I've wanted to get to the table for a long time. It's a game that I've owned for a long time um, and I always hear amazing things. And I finally sat down and played it and it went so well. The mechanics are really beautiful in the way that they deal with being a teenager and not knowing who you are or what you want to be. One of the things that I think are really interesting uh, that sets it apart from other PBTA games is that you don't have set stats. Your stats are constantly fluctuating based on uh, how you're doing and how things are going. I also think that it's very interesting that unlike a lot of what you might expect from a superhero game, you don't have health, you don't have HP, you have conditions uh, similar to like Torchbearer, but you're accumulating conditions rather than taking damage. You become angry when the supervillain punches you in the face. You become guilty when you do the wrong thing to stop somebody from doing something bad. So just the way that it, it deals with emotions and the way that it deals with like trying to find your place, it created this really great story everybody who was playing was like on their game uh it really sung for us and it, it was a great game i had a lot of fun with it you played with a pretty big group didn't you yeah actually we played with i was one of six players did it work with six players it did i'm sure that some people did not probably get as much screen time as others but in general we did a pretty good job of making sure everybody was contributing to the story and everybody was having their moments I think it worked okay with six players. I think just like any RPG, like four players is probably the sweet spot. But it's definitely on, it's much further up on my list now uh, in terms of getting it to the table. In fact, Diana and I are talking about getting it to the table in like the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was really good. I played Pasión de los Pasiones. Oh, right. Um, it, it's not, the full version isn't out yet, but it is... <laughs> amazing it is you play a telenovela like you're playing a soap opera you are a character at general hospital and you get to tell the insanity that's happening so my character was the help and so we were we were kind of centered around this this very rich woman's house everything kind of evolved revolved around her house and i was her maid of course i was her maid but i was her maid and uh my character had voluptuous hair like it was just always perfect and big and I always had bright red lipstick and I always wore heels I'm a maid none of those things should be true but I'm in a soap opera so those things are true and it's amazing and I was the secret daughter of the woman she knew that I was her daughter so she she hired me but I didn't know that I was her daughter so she kept me on as her maid and there was like all this drama and she had an actual daughter like an air quotes actual daughter right like a recognized daughter who was getting married and the the woman hated the guy she was marrying who was an ex-boyfriend of mine and I was also dating the boy the boyfriend of her secret twin that she kept in the basement like <laughs> nonsense and it ended it ended with a helicopter crashing into the van that the legitimate daughter was running away in while the van's back this was like a cleaning crew van the the van's back doors were open and money was just flying out of it <laughs> helicopter crashes into it there's a secret figure off to the side with a detonator button and then back and then back at the house 
a man is standing there dripping wet with a big smile on his face. End of the episode. It was incredible. <laughs> it was so much fun. I had a blast with it. And I played with complete strangers. I've never played a game with complete strangers before. I've always known at least one other person at the table. And I played with complete strangers. And it was it was, it was just awesome. It was really, really fun. You played that game with fan of the show Dove Presto, didn't you? Yes, I did. However, I don't Twitter. Oh, that's true. I don't Twitter. So, I, <laughs> so, I, so to me, complete stranger. Also, never met in in real life before. Yeah, that's true. Well, not well. Yeah, briefly met. Yeah, briefly met. Yeah, hadn't like hadn't had like actual conversation. Didn't actually know this person, mm-hmm. but like, oh, he was my lover. He was the <laughs> he was he was the boyfriend of the secret twin, and he was my lover in the game, and it was awesome. He, like, got hurt in the helicopter crash. He was flying. It was just so good. I don't want to tell his story. If he wants to tell his story, he can tell his story. But it was just really good. That sounds like everything good that I've heard about Passion de los Passionos. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's so good. It's just so good. I'm clapping. I'm trying really hard not to do it by the microphone. It's just so good. So uh, both Masks and Passion de los Passiones are, Magpie, are, are published by Magpie Games. Uh, Masks is by Brendan G. Conway, and Passion de los Passiones is by Brandon Leon Gambetta. How much does the game prompt you to do those ridiculous things, and how much was sort of left to the imagination of the people you were playing with? A lot of it was left to the imagination of the people that we were playing with. It definitely benefited. So the woman who was GMing for us self-identified as Latinx, like she mm-hmm. identified as Latinx. And I I grew up watching telenovelas and, and um, soap operas. There's a reason I mentioned General Hospital. <laughs> Lived my life on General Hospital when I was younger. And so every time like a thing would happen, the she and I specifically, but the table would be like, oh my God, how cool would it be if you actually had a helicopter? And, oh my God, if there was, oh my God, what if he's, what if he's a secret? What if there's a secret trend? What if he drowned at sea? Like we all kind of collaborated together to make that story happen. I don't know how it would have gone if it had been like a table full of people who had never watched a soap opera. I don't know how it would have gone, but I do believe, because I didn't read the rules, I didn't read the rules, I just played the game. I do believe that the rules do prompt you to be a little bit, like, it tells you at the beginning, when you sit down, you need to be as extra as possible. You need to, like, give in to the ridiculous. You need to do it. So the game does kind of prompt you that way, but she and I had a lot of fun just being like, this is a trope, this is such a trope, and we need to do it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I really had a blast with it. I had a blast. Uh, so I played Fall of Magic. Uh, it was one of the games I ran. It was on Friday. And that was the first time I'd played a game with a complete group of strangers. For Games on Demand, I you can list how many people can play your game. So I had five people started playing the game, and then I went down to four. But with a group of four, I didn't want to play. It adds too many people, and I didn't have a lot of time to um, run the game. So I just sort of observed and like guided them through playing Fall of Magic. And it was really awesome. They started their story a little goofy, but... By the end, it was pretty serious as, like, Fall of Magic tends to have that arc where you're sort of goofy in the beginning and then um, serious towards the end. It was the first time I played that game where someone was willingly, willfully an animal. The titles that you choose for your characters sort of leave the door open to being animals, but I'd never played with anyone who wanted to be an animal before, so I had one player who was a fox who just couldn't communicate with humans, couldn't talk to humans, and would just show up in scenes and sort of use uh, their body language to interact with the other players but it, it was really cool it was a did really you still cool have game. a good story arc yeah 
his his fox family was killed at one point, and it was a very sad scene Aww. that had no dialogue in it, and it was really cool. Oh, uh, that sounds cool. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah, and it was just sort of observed by the other characters, but he sort of painted this picture about his him having a memory of his fox family dying, and then the ghost of the fox showed up later to like help them find a the thing. It was pretty cool. That sounds Aww. great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I wasn't sure where they were going with with picking a fox character that couldn't talk, um, but it ended up working really well. Cool. Yeah. And you also ran that again on Saturday, too. I did, and Diana played that game. Yes, and that was my only on-demand game. I had to stand in line, and I was one of the last people for your game, wasn't I? Somebody, uh, there was a last person who came back, but by the time that I got in there, there was already people at your table. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a group of five play that game. Mm -hmm. That was a really good game. I've played four or five games of Fall of Magic now, and that may have been the best overall game. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so jealous. I, that makes me so jealous to had, hear. We had two players who were very, very good at like improv role play. Yeah, and the one player said he was new to RPGs. Right. That's wild to but me. He, he wrote two songs and a poem while sitting there. <laughs> and like, did his character in a Scottish accent. Yeah. He was time. lying to y'all. He was, he was an RPG shark. <laughs> he may have been hustling He us. was hustling. He yeah. may have been hustling Maybe. us. But yeah, he wrote, his character was sort of a scholar-bard hybrid. Mm-hmm. And cool. he wrote, while other people were taking their turns, he wrote on note cards songs that rhymed, I think. Yeah. And then he sang them in a Scottish accent. Yeah. It, it was, was crazy. It was wild. It was, it was good. It was genuinely a very good story to be a part of. I was kind of a, the black sheep of the group because I didn't have a huge tie to the Magus, which is the reason you play the game. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I had to be, like, weird. I had to play the weird character. But watching all these other players get to experience the game and do a really good job with it and then still kind of include me, even though I was being a butt about it, like, it was it was a genuinely very good game to play. It's awesome. And they sort of got the vibe of the game, the tone of the game very quickly, mm-hmm. and they, they sort of kept it going yeah. throughout the game. And yeah, they were a fantastic group. Both groups were fantastic. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> you, you said you were going to play, and then yeah. you, I know. you backed out. You I did. know, I did. You did. Well, my next question is for Diana and Zach. Since you're both interested in using role play and board games for an application for social development and mental health issues. What would you say you learned at this con about that? Either something with the game you played or a panel you went to, any takeaways on that topic? So I actually went to a panel, Role Playing As Easy As ABC, or ABCs or some, something like that. Um, it, was, it was specifically a panel of people who have used role playing games in both educational and uh, therapeutic settings and how you how teachers can implement these games in their classrooms or in school settings. So two of the members uh, were teachers at a friend's school, which is a Quaker which is a Quaker system of schools. Which I just I love the idea of them. I've never worked at one, but I really love the idea of these friend schools. I did, and they're great. I know, I know. I'm so jealous. Anyway, they run a after school D and D club for their middle school aged students. There was a teacher who incorporated D and D into her. She was an English teacher. She incorporated D and D into her classrooms. So she gave examples. She would teach Beowulf and the kids would, like, she would separate the kids into groups of three or four and they would each be a character in the story and would have to role play as these characters interacting with Beowulf. Like, if you could rewrite the story, how would it go? What would your character do? And she was telling us 
how she made it work for her classes and how it in, was incorporated into the tests and stuff. And it just sounded awesome. So I got the name of a... Uh, there was another person on the panel who wrote uh, an RPG as well. And both the name of the RPG and the name of the panelist is out of my brain right now. But through that panel, I got the name of a game developer who creates games for teachers. Not very specifically for teachers, but adds like anecdotes in the rule book for how a teacher could implement this into their classroom. Hmm. And since I went to that panel, I got some ideas for how I can bring role-playing games into my small groups at school so that I can use them for some of my students. The problem is a lot of these groups, the whole panel was about middle school and high school. A lot of these therapy, education-based panels and games and stuff, they're for older kids. And I work with a younger generation. I work with a younger, not generation, what's the word of a population? That's the word I'm looking for. Generation is a different thing. I work with a different, I, I just work with a younger population. So I got I got some good leads on games that might be good for younger kids. There's less rules, but it's still as fun. And it's more structured role play. Like when you give little kids a big sandbox to play in, they're going to do nothing that you expected. Like you can't control that and you have to, there has to be some control. Wasn't that most RPGs? <laughs> yes, yes. But some have more like structured rules and structured things that you can do. Like you can do this move. You can't do whatever you want. You can do this one move. Some are more structured like that. And some are more like, do whatever you want. We'll see what happens. I can't do that with third graders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it won't. Yeah. People will die. Literal people will literally die if I let third graders just do whatever they want. So <laughs> I have to I have to find games that have a really good mix where they can use their imagination, but also have these very clear, concrete rules and moves. Like you can do this thing. This you have this sheet in front of you that tells you the moves you can do, you can do these things. And also fit it into 20 minutes, which is really hard to do. But I got some good leads. That was really long. Sorry. No, no, because I, I I mean I don't have very much to add. I did not I, I did not spend a lot of time at PAX Unplugged this year working to those goals. I'm not teaching my class that I used to teach about social uh, issues in RPGs, um, although uh, some of the games I played this uh, year made me really wish I still was. But I am starting to think a lot about uh, games in education now that I'm working at a literature company, uh, a company that uh, is dedicated to... Um, developing literary skills in youth. And I am thinking a lot about how RPGs could potentially be used in that setting. That would be really interesting. Yes. I, I Basically, I'm at the stage where of, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. <laughs> ha- haven't started any research, haven't like started looking into things. Um, but like, like you're talking about the one panelist who uses Beowulf. She did it with all of her stories, but Beowulf was the example she did. Yeah, in order to help kids understand, you know, character arcs, character motivations, who characters are, how Mm -hmm. plots work. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something that I do a lot when I'm writing curriculum is, like, making, like, getting kids interested in what characters are and how they work and why it's important to understand those kinds of things. So uh, the concept of edutainment tabletop RPGs is kind of interesting to me. Did you just make up a word? Edutainment? No, edutainment is a pretty common portmanteau in... Really? That's a word. It's well, it's not a word, but what? it's, it's a used. Thing? It's a thing people say? Yeah. yeah. It, oh, man, I know nothing. Anyth- anything, like, any of those, uh, like, PC games that used to play in, in middle or elementary school that... Oregon Trail. Like, 
No. Um, Everyone played that. Yes, but I'm thinking I, more like... Uh, Math Blasters. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Or edutainment games. <laughs> Very... Not fond memories of math classes. <laughs> that sounds like something that would terrify you. Yeah, a video game about math sounds like a waste oh, of time. Oh, that card game, that 24 card game? I was good at that. I was actually surprisingly pretty good at that. No, I don't know what they're talking about. What? Okay, off pod. Off pod, we'll have to talk to you guys about that. That was a really fun Oh, game. yeah, that was like all I was good at. You got, four, you got a card with four numbers, and you had mm. to figure out how you were going to use those four numbers to get to 24. You could multiply, you could Oh, far add, too much so, math already. It yeah, was so no. Fun. no. What? No. Okay, Becky and I got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do kind of want to start exploring the space of. And I, I edutainment is usually used derogatorily, derogatively. Take it back. Um, that they're like, because they're usually not fun. Um, but I, I think the concept of, of, an, of a tabletop RPG that is fun and offers a structured way for kids to engage with literature could be something that would be very interesting to me. Uh, so this was not an academic con to me, like a lot of past cons have been. This was very much just a play games con. On that end, not about the academics, but on like the social therapy kind of side of it, there were two tables on the convention hall that... They're nonprofits that are aimed at bringing games to kids in hospitals. Um, and it was really cool to sit down and talk to them. And I will get those names. I will remember those names at some point. Was Games to Grow one of them? Games, games to, grow to Grow was one of, one of them. But there was another one that provides like... Uh, child's Play. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Child's Play. They provide like game systems to kids in hospitals and like the whatever so that kids can yeah. get a little social interaction. Well, the, I think the Child's Play actually curates games to like kids dealing with depression or anxiety or pain issues like they curate a library of games uh that help kids deal with whatever their particular issue is and i guess games to grow is uh specifically geared towards um helping kids with social yeah. socialization issues mm-hmm. and they do more like role-playing like D sort of like games like game sessions whereas child plays like video games not ne- not just video games but that's mainly like kind of what they do but it was just really cool to sit there and talk to people and think about why and how games are being used in like therapy and education right now. And I could nerd out about this forever, but I will stop talking. <laughs> well, let's get to the game you talked you played on Saturday night. Oh yeah. Um, oh boy. Yes. It sounded bizarre. Or maybe it was just because it was one o'clock in the morning and Zach was trying to tell me about it when I was three quarters <laughs> asleep. I but... I can't even imagine how that sounded to you. <laughs> Which is why we need to talk about it again. So we signed up to play Blue. Beard's Bride. Also a magpie game, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Zach B and I were not like, oh my God, we need to play this game. That was 100% Zach who was like, oh my God, we need to play this game. So we signed up for this game and it start started at like 8.30 and went until 11.30. It was so late. Mm-hmm. And as y'all know, I don't do horror. I don't do scary and I don't do spooks. Well, and this game is all of them. Yes. So Bluebeard's Bride is a Powered by the Apocalypse horror game. Uh, based on the folktale of Bluebeard's Bride, which, very short version, it's uh, about a young woman who marries a rich merchant and discovers that he is a serial killer. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Beauty and the Beast if Beast murdered Belle. Don't do that. It, well, that's don't, no, don't ruin that story. You know, how, you know how precious Beauty and the Beast is to me. Don't ruin that by making Beast awful. I've always been... How do I say this without sounding like a psychopath? Um, I like the story of Bluebeard's Bride. Uh, Angela Carter, the feminist 
fairy tale writer who re-envisions a lot of fairy tales. Uh, and her collection, Burning Your Boats, has a bunch of stories uh, based on Bluebeard's Bride, um, many of which feature uh, the bride turning around and murdering Bluebeard. Uh, she she has done a lot of those stories, and I've seen that that theme and that story explored in a lot of spaces, and I love it. And I've always heard really good things about the game Bluebeard's Bride, it's kind of on the expensive side for PBTA games. Um, it's a it's a high quality book. It's a gorgeous book. Yeah, the book is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I haven't gotten a hold of it myself, and I always wanted to play it. And I was like, hey, we're gonna do this. And I dragged Zach B and Diana along. It was interesting. I think what got me was when you were describing the game. All of the players play the bride. I thought that was pretty interesting. You all play different aspects of the bride's personality, mm-hmm. uh, and I was just curious to see how that worked and it worked amazingly i thought that was one of the coolest parts of the game is how the mechanics are designed around different aspects of the bride's personality and how they interact with each other and who controls the bride's actions that was all really fascinating yeah um just to summarize that really quickly so the game takes place it's a gothic horror game where uh the bride is in bluebeard's mansion and she's trapped, and there are various horrors lurking in the mansion. And every time she goes into a new room, there's some sort of new mad horror. And everyone is playing a different aspect of the bride's psyche. So, for instance, I was playing the psyche's animus, which was her uh, desire to enact change on the world, her ability to command and and her force of will, essentially. Uh, I played the mother, so her more like mothering nature, like taking care of people. And like be, but being in charge, like taking care of people, being gentle, but also being in charge. I was the virgin, which was the bride's ability to see beauty in ordinary things. Wasn't described as naive, but I think I played her pretty naively. Mm-hmm. We we also when we played the game, we also played with the bride's witch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which and is... the witch, her witch trait, her like mystic power. Yeah, and then we played with. The fatal, fatal, like very into sensations and like kind of a little bit wild mm-hmm. side. And uh, the cool thing is that only one person actually has control over what the bride is actually doing at a time, and the other people can like notice details in the room, and they can they can obviously yell at the person in control, uh, which I think to me is one of the most fun parts of the game is playing as your aspect of the psyche and saying what you want to do so like as the animus i was always like hit him command the servant to do this do your like take action and you know when the when diana as the mother had control of the bride she wasn't going to do that obviously she was going to try to a keep the bride safe i kind of felt that the, yeah, the mother was... or the mother that you were playing was like a very like self-preservation, like keep all of us, our well, sisters safe. I'm just going to take control mm-hmm. and make this situation one that I can then control. Yeah. Was like, I, the, there. this is not orderly and it needs to be orderly. That was like my kind of like mission for the game. Isn't there a Disney movie based on that concept? <laughs> inside Out? Yep. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, was, it was very Inside Out. I think we someone like, commented about that when we were playing. I definitely made that connection. I, I don't know if I was the one who commented on it or not, but I definitely made that connection while we were playing. But it's Inside Out with murder and blood and gross a and lot sex. darker. Not just about puberty. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> much sex. Yeah. 
So much darker. So much scary. I, I definitely want to give a shout out to our GM for that game, uh, Jabari. You can find Jabari on Twitter at Jabari Weathers. They were an amazing GM. They were so considerate uh, of us and our our fears and our concerns. They were very... Um, aware of the kind of safety tools that are important in a game like this. It is very much a a game about horror and about dealing with existing in a femme body and all of the horrors that that can entail in a society that does not value you. It was a very powerful game. It was a very upsetting game. And uh, the game itself was amazing. And Jabari RGM uh, was, was so wonderful. Is there anything you guys want to add to this story? Just to piggyback off Jabari being awesome, it became very obvious very quickly that this game takes a certain type of GM to run. This is not a game for beginner GMs. Someone very experienced needs to run this in order for it to be effective and to sort of police all of the Mm -hmm. potentially hazardous topics that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So Jabari was awesome. They were exactly the kind of person um, that should be running this game and, yeah, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, if, if you have a chance to play a game with Jabari at any con, you should make it happen. There's just one thing that I wanted to talk about mechanically of the game before we can continue talking about it or not, but there's a mechanic of the game where if you, if you the player, like yes. the physical person sitting in the seat, shiver with fear, you then have to give up control of the bride and move on, but there's like consequences to you shivering with fear. And I was the first player who played as the bride and I don't do spooks. And I was very proud of myself for lasting as long as I did, but I literally shivered with fear and was like, I'm very uncomfortable right now. Like, I don't know how to move forward from this. And Jabari did a great job of, of transitioning us and, and having us move on. But I just thought that mechanic was so cool. Like, if you physically get very, like, if you show that you're scared, it moves on. It's a part of the game. Your real fear is a part of the game. And I just thought that was so cool. When we saw that rule, I was like, oh, it's just an RPG. Nothing's going to be scary enough for me to shiver with fear. It I totally did constantly <laughs> yeah. all the time, yeah. the whole game, even I when was, I wasn't controlling the bride yes. all the time. I was so uncomfortable. And also, I was the only female presenting person at the table. Um, and as far as I know, I was the only one there with a uterus. I don't know that for certain, but I'm as far as I know. And so there were some scenes involving uteruses that just got me real uncomfortable real fast hmm, i don't want to know <laughs> yeah. but, but it but it but it was like but i wasn't the only one who was uncomfortable with what was going on like that's how like scary and deep it got like it was <sighs> i still <laughs> you guys can't see it but i'm making movements in my seat because i'm very uncomfortable just thinking about it and that was one legitimate as we left because uh, there were a bunch of people playing games and I did hear somebody from another group offer what I felt was a fair criticism of the game was that it is very much couched in body horror and um, they actually felt that it was body shaming as well as body horror and I think that is a legitimate criticism of this game I think that is something that you need to be okay with if it's if you want to play this game because so much of it is based in is based in the way society tries to control and own bodies. Uh, it is all horrific in terms of the body. And I, I think that's a totally fair criticism, but I also think that that is, from another angle, that's its strength. The game is sort of gratuitous with violence, but it has a point in that it's trying to make a point about violence against women that 
in society, women are not believed for the things that happen to them. Yeah, it, it, it's a very powerful game. It's not sort of horror for the sake of horror. It's horror, I think, with the point of trying to show a perspective on how women are treated in society and whether or not they're believed for the things that happen to them. Yeah, I completely agree, yeah. It was very spooky. If you enjoy spooky games and enjoy everything we just talked about, you should play it. I will never play it again, but it was a very fun game. Y'all can play it again. That was too spooky for me. I'm really debating whether or not it's something that I need to have on my shelf. Um, No, I don't want it in my house. (laughs) as, As an artifact of gaming, it is amazing. As a physical product, it's gorgeous. As a game, it's very well written and designed. I don't know how often I would get it to the table. I, 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 I know I'd never get you to play it with me again. Mm-mm. Would you be comfortable GMing? That's not for me. Yeah. Would you be yeah. comfortable GMing Bluebeard's Bride? I honestly don't know. I, I really don't. I, I think, don't know if I could do it. I think that's what I've thought about the most since playing it is I would play it again, I think, but it just, it like, it's so much rides on the GM being mm-hmm. able to manage that whole system. So... I've actually been thinking about this, and I feel like if I liked horror just a little bit, I could GM it. Because when I can control the scary things, I don't mind them quite so much. And, you know, I did do that murderous ghost episode that was much more scary than yours. very good. Um, But I I think that I could GM, because it looked, it genuinely looked like Jabari was having fun GMing. I feel like I would, but this version of Diana in this reality, in this universe, not in a million years. Couldn't I, pay me to do it. I actually think you would be a really good GM of Bluebeard's Bride. I think you would do very well, personally. Not in this universe. Not in this dimension. Not in this reality. Not this one. Well, maybe well, a different Diana. Well, maybe, I, maybe I just need to buy a copy and, and then I can... Nope. I will never <laughs> open that happens. book. It is, it is gorgeous, though. It is oh, a it very, is so beautiful. Just the physical book is actually quite pretty. Well, after that, let's, <laughs> let's make things a little bit lighter. I hear there were many celebrities, gaming celebrities <laughs> at the con. Who did you meet and how cool were they? Can I just say really quickly, I know no one. No one. So I can't actually answer this. I question. thought That's I knew no one. I told, kept telling Becky I know no one. And then he was fangirling hard. I was fangirling pretty hard over celebrities that I met. A lot of people that I met at PAX East are people that I've met a few times, but people who I still consider, like, my gaming heroes. Um, uh, Hannah Schaefer was there, a designer of 14 Days, and most recently, You Are Autumn, a nano game that largely inspired the nano game that I was handing out at PAX, Tiny God, which I still need to figure out how I can continue propagating that game out into the world met Joshua A.C. Newman, who is a huge uh, game designer who I love. I actually don't think I said hi to Luke Crane this time, which is weird. Did see Jared Sorensen. You didn't give Luke Crane your game? No, I didn't. I didn't hmm. give Luke Crane my game, and I didn't give uh, Adam Coble of yeah. uh, Dungeon World my game either, uh, who I was looking for all con, and I just never never managed to, to find him. So uh, hopefully next time I'll be able to track them down and say hello. I don't know. I'm I usually shake these people's hands every packs I go to, and I've been doing that since 2013. Um, so I don't like I don't think I fan girl out anymore. Although I did still fan girl out when I gave a copy of my game to Chris Straub uh, because I love Chris Straub. I was gonna um, say I saw a couple fan girl moments. Yeah, no, I totally <laughs> lost my composure when I went up went to go talk to Chris Straub. But uh, yeah, met a lot of really great. People said hi to a lot of really great people who are, I, I guess, um, 
Yeah, it's celebrities to me. I learned something surprising about myself at PAX. So Shut Up and Sit Down came last year, and I knew they were coming again this year. And I've followed their website for many years, for a long time. Actually, the first time we played Twilight Imperium is the first time I discovered their website because they did oh, a... that's a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> but that was several years ago. But they did a Let's Play of Twilight Imperium around the same time that you were sending out material for the game. So okay. I wa- that's how I first got into the site. So I've been watching those guys for a long time. And I saw Quentin Smith, Quinn's, on the show floor. And I just went up to him and shook his hand. And he exists at a level of celebrity that's just like, he exists in the world. But, like, I'm never going to be part of that. Like, he he just exists in a higher dimension as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so it was cool to meet him. But it was actually far cooler for me to meet people like Renee from Fate and the Fable Maids. Maidens. Like, it, it was cooler for me to meet, like, peers of the podcast. Like, people who are doing similar things, existing in, like, similar circles. That was far cooler to me. I kind of will agree. We we met up with a couple of people who also do, pod- who also do gaming podcasts. And... I'm I'm always more impressed with them because it feels more attainable. Like, it feels more like, oh, I could do that Well, if I got my poop in a group. Like, I could do that. <laughs> that could be me. And also, we recognize their hustle. Their yeah, hustle yeah. is similar to our hustle. Right, yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, we met, uh, we met, we also met Renee of Fate and the Fable Maiden separately. Uh, we were able to talk to Lauren Bryant Monk of too many RPGs. Uh, we were able to meet with her and talk with her briefly, and that was wonderful. Uh, I got to talk with Blaine Martin of Refugees of Esmeralda. It is cool to meet people who are doing the same stuff as us and whose work we respect, but like you said, it'd be like, in some level, we are doing the same thing. We're doing similar things. Um, we are... I'm, I'm not Quinn's. I'm never gonna be Quinn's, and that's okay, but like, other, other people that we met are feeling more like peers. Well, that's a good lead-in to your panel you were on. <laughs> so, Heartpoints was on a panel on Sunday. It was a panel about other one-to-one RPG podcasts, and they were all based in the Philadelphia area. Is that right? Yes. Uh, ben and Mel of Pot of Love. Yes. Uh, Jeff Stormer of Party of One, and Russell Collins of uh, who is a game designer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Russell Collins is Philadelphia-based, but all of the AP podcasters, everyone else on the panel, uh, is Philadelphia-based. And yeah, that went well, I thought. Yeah. I Here was... Okay. I told everyone what my fears were before I got up on there. I had two fears. One, I was afraid that I wouldn't talk, which is very unlike Diana. Uh, but I was afraid that I would get up there and be like, I don't know what I'm... Because this, this is my imposter syndrome with this whole podcast, is that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not as into role-playing games. Like, the like the world of... Ro- I'm not as into the world of it as Zach is and as just about everybody else that we met. I'm just not... I like enjoy... I, I enjoy playing the games. I don't do the research that goes into it, I guess. Um, so I was worried that I would be, like, outed as an imposter immediately, so I was worried I wasn't going to talk. And then I was worried that I was going to talk over people and talk too much, which is 100% a Diana move. That is absolutely a thing I do. So I was really worried I was going to do that specifically, but it ended up being really nice. I think everybody got a good amount of time to talk about what what their strengths were and what what their experiences were like. And I made the audience laugh with sounds antics, which was always fun. Were there were there listeners in the audience? 
There were some people, yeah, okay. there were some, I mean, there were some people that I recognized, which is saying a lot, because it takes a lot for me to recognize you. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not in, I'm not on Twitter. I don't Twitter. So if I recognize you, it's impressive. Yeah, I can't say if there were any listeners that we haven't met before. Um, there, there were quite a few listeners uh, who we've met um, either personally or uh, pretty, like, notably on Twitter. I had some Twitter back and forth. Uh, I would be very excited if, if there were secret fans there, and I hope that there's some fans now, some people who discovered that they were fans because of the panel. Yep. I well, agree. I poked my hand in at one point when we had a break from the mega game, and you guys had a full room, and it yeah, was, it was impressed. It was very surprising. I was completely and totally expecting the first two rows of seats to be taken up, and the room was packed, and enforcers had to help people find seats. Yeah, they had to, like, usher people in when yeah. I was there, yeah. There was, like, a huge line waiting outside, and I was like, that's not for us. That's <laughs> definitely not for us, but it was. In quick summary, uh, the panel was on two-player RPGs. It was talking about the value of two-player RPGs, how to approach two-player RPGs, why you would want to play RPGs two-player, and and just kind of like an introduction to what they are, why you would play them, how you should get started. Uh, and that panel was recorded, and it is going out in someone's RSS feed. It's not going to be ours, but uh, I, I promise you as soon as we know... Uh, who is releasing that, we will be telling you all about it. There were a lot of podcasts represented on that stage. <laughs> yes. It's kind of hard to know where that's going to come out from. I'm excited to hear it for the first time. Oh. <laughs> it's quite good. I don't usually listen to my voice. I might listen to that one just to, just to hear what nonsense came out of my mouth. So let's hear about the mega game. Yes. I got a text halfway through that said, I am an alien. <laughs> let's hear more than that. So that was about 20 minutes in. Uh-huh. In quick summary, a mega game is a board game RPG LARP hybrid where with like 50 to 60 people, sometimes even more. Um, and the games vary. Mega game is just sort of a, a general type of game. But this one was Watch the Skies, which was run by, I think, the Mega Game Society. They run other mega games, but I think the one they do the most is Watch the Skies. Watch the Skies is basically Model UN from high school, but the aliens are invading Earth, and uh, everything is insane and crazy. So there are a couple controls who run the game, so they walk the different teams through the rules and the mechanics. Um, Anytime you have a mechanics-related question, they sort of help you through it. And all the players are divided up mostly into different countries, like Model UN. And then there was a team of 10 of us who played the aliens. So I was on the alien team. And that was bananas. So (laughs) they Watch This Guys runs basically the same mechanically every time they run the game, as far as I understand it. But how they differentiate the games from each other and prevent spoilers is each game the alien team has a different objective, and our objective in our game was we were undergraduate alien anthropologists who were sent to Earth to prove our thesis that with slight stresses introduced into their world, humans will destroy each other. So our job was to basically provoke all of the human players into going to war with each other and doing all kinds of nefarious things. And a lot of them did it without us even having to prod them or bribe them or trick them a lot of them were just brutal uh on their own which i think also helped prove our thesis but 
our control was awesome. He ran us through all the rules, and he also RP'd as our thesis advisors. So periodically, oh, he would make us pitch our research uh, back to him, and he would ask us questions uh, like about how the research was going. And that's awesome. like we almost started a war in Brazil, and he asked like very like academic professor questions about. Well, is this war uh, going to inhibit your your research and your your thesis? And uh, it it was just really surreal and weird. Um, at one point, we had giant worms that were were described to us as our nuclear option, and the game maker said that no one ever uses the giant worms. So uh, we used the giant worms. Uh, we uh, India had been pretty belligerent the whole game, so we <laughs> and they actually asked us in writing at one point if we would help them invade. Uh, their neighbors <laughs> so we took the invitation and gave them giant worms that were just rampaging uh, throughout the world um, one of the worms took out the entire UK army <laughs> also the UK at one point did not was not the UK anymore I think some of the players from the American team had to leave so the the game controllers put the UK team and the US team together and the way it, after every turn one of the controls got up on a chair and gave like news announcements, like news headlines to the whole room. And one of their news headlines was that the UK had annexed the Southern United States and was now calling themselves, I think the transatlantic kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) And the player, the player who was the head of state for the transatlantic kingdom made a crown for themselves and was walking around (laughs) the room with this crown. Uh, It was wild. It was really wild. The game ended up being like seven hours long, so I could talk about this for a long time and all the different antics that the alien team got up to. Um, I will say that we all died when the ISS nuked the moon, (laughs) and the French president, just to make sure that we all died, uh, blew himself up like in a suicide mission on the moon. So all of us died. Um, Actually, I think a few of us survived, but we definitely proved our thesis because we just sent the world into a tailspin. <laughs> it was a total disaster. I, uh, I really want to play a mega game now after hearing all your stories from that. That sounded like a blast. I hope they run it again next year. They had mega games at last year's PAX, um, but the signups were made it very hard to get into. This, you could sign up beforehand, which I appreciated. Well, that's exciting. You guys can do that, and I won't. So that would be great. <laughs> the, this was actually shorter than the game they usually run. The game they usually run is like eight hours long with no breaks. Is uh, it because you used the worms? No, it's it's just because they had to do a con version of the um, game uh, uh, to save time. So okay. we only played for like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> wow, only six. Yeah. That's still so long for a game. Yeah. I usually get bored at like two if we're playing like a longer game, I'll be like, eh, I'm good. Can we? I'll I'll just murder my character now. I'm good to go home. <laughs> I have like no. I just have no attention span. Even no matter how good the game is, I just don't have much of an attention span. So let's talk about board games. Zach and I like to play some two-player board games. Uh, or if we come and visit you guys, we play four-player <laughs> board games. Uh, what board games did you play? Did you play anything new? And bonus points if they're two-player. We played a few games. Um, we we play tested some games and we played some games that were released. Uh, we played one game called Before There Were Stars, which is a storytelling board game, uh, which was fun in theory and in practice. I would like to give it a few more shots to see what I thought about it. You have like a, there's like a table of cards and each card is a constellation made up of die pips, and then you roll a bunch of dice. 
and then uh, whatever uh, whatever constellations you can make out of what you roll becomes a prompt for a story that you're telling. And it was it was cool. Um, I felt a little bit weird about judging people's stories, which I, I wasn't sure how that worked out. Uh, if I really vibed with that, but um, I want to play it again. Uh, we played Dragoon, which our friend Steve bought, uh, which is a gorgeous game uh, of dragons harassing one another. Uh, that we played again last night after he bought it and was okay. It's a little slow. I don't know. I didn't play anything that like super wowed me that I was like, I have to have this game. Um, except for maybe we bought Mad Love, which is a co-op two-player Lovecraftian card game that is very simple, very elegant. Uh, and I, I, I like that. That might be I totally forgot we played that game because it was it was the last thing we did. Yeah. It was the very last thing we did. There was like half an hour left in the con. The convention floor was closing, and we he was like, "I'm getting a game," and like, well, actually, I was like, "You have to get a game because I bought a thing, and now I feel bad that I bought a thing, so I need you to buy a thing so I can feel less bad about the, the fact that I bought a thing." But that actually was a that was a very fun game. We played a game that we had played last time we went to PAX called Fay. Oh yeah, and we can't find it to buy it and it's a really fun can be played two player we played it this year four player um just a really fun easy game yeah it's a it was previously released i think as druids uh and it is either re-released or going to be re-released by z-man games called fey um it's just like a cute little very very simple puzzle game yeah that we had a lot of fun with yeah. What what would you play? We played a bunch of Unstable Unicorns. Oh, I could not remember the name of that game. I'm so glad you said it. That was so fun. It's sort of in the vein of Exploding Kittens. Which I also have not played. Okay. You're basically just trying to accumulate a stable of seven unicorns, and the unicorns have different powers. It, it's sort of a very simple, like, draw from the deck, play cards kind of game. Okay. Uh, it moves pretty quickly, but all of the cards are very silly, and you can, like, sabotage other people's stables mm-hmm. and get rid of their unicorns and that was very fun it, it was a good game because we had a big group at certain points yeah um, so that was a good one yeah that was that was a that we played we did play that one a lot and like i said earlier i spent a lot of my con with zach b and not with zach my zach and that i i spent most of con when i was with him being like i can't remember the name of that unicorn <laughs> game but it was so fun it was such a fun <laughs> game it was a, it was really fun i really liked that game are there any other games that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to add? Um, just really quick, I know we're running out of time. I, I also played an RPG called Legend of the Five Rings, uh, and I think that's fifth edition of Legend of the Five Rings. It's a it's a more trad game, more similar to like Dungeons and Dragons, which is not my usual uh, not my usual bag, but I really enjoyed it. I think I need to do more research into it. I really like the setting. Um, and how everyone at the table I was with knew so much about the setting and knew so much about like all of the inter-family dramas of like the very established parts of, of this really cool setting. And I don't know, I don't know if it's something that I would play a lot, but it definitely interested me a lot and the, the solo game I played was amazing. Did like a murder mystery at a wedding and it was, it was very cool. I will say the highlight of PAX Unplugged for me outside of like all the convention stuff is how close it is to running terminal market <laughs> like probably i i probably ate the best convention food ever because it wasn't convention food it was just good reading terminal market food yeah yeah 
Well, that is a perfect lead-in to my last question. <laughs> I'm a little it is about not that. at all board game related, but since PAX is at the Philadelphia Convention Center just next to Reading Terminal Market, and what are you being paid what? by them? <laughs> no, but what else do you get at Reading Terminal Market besides a cheesesteak? So my question for you is: Is a cheesesteak an acceptable food for oh, breakfast? This- <laughs> Zach and I have been debating this since last PAX because someone ate a cheesesteak for breakfast last year. Well, this came up at last PAX because Zach and I got into an argument about whether or not you can eat a cheesesteak for breakfast. That's right. And we, I Becky and I have I, been talking about this for an entire year. I don't remember where I fell in that. I, I do remember vaguely. I remember where you fell. Where do you, where do you fall? I don't think it's acceptable to eat a cheesesteak before, I don't know. I don't have a time set up, but I mm-hmm. think it's unacceptable. Did I argue that it was? You th- I think you argued that I was being judgmental. <laughs> I think that was your argument. I do remember that. Yes, I do remember telling you. I, I told you not to judge people. Um, I will, but I might be being too judgmental. But if I'm being honest, if I see someone eating a cheesesteak at 9 a.m., I'm gonna yuck. <laughs> but this is Philadelphia. Where's your spirit? Yeah, seriously. Here's where's your gritty spirit. <laughs> Don't. I am very pro gritty. <laughs> but not pro cheesesteak. Here's what I'll say. You can eat whatever you want. This is going to be so unpopular. You can eat whatever you want, whenever you want, because everything is a construct and everything's made up and rules don't apply and fuck the rules, blah, 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 right? Like, eat whatever you want. My favorite food, my favorite breakfast food is pizza. That is my favorite breakfast food. However, and I know that I'm going to get kicked out of Philadelphia for this, cheesesteaks are gross. Oh, okay. And they're soggy. <laughs> okay. And they are never acceptable. All right. You're just being, this oh, is no. not, you're, you're just being controversial now. This no, is, they're yeah. just gross. I don't like them. I get heartburn smelling them. So, <laughs> um, is there, uh, sorry, do you have any? That's, that's really all. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, Cutting thank you. Me off. Becky, thank you so much for uh, for running this interview, and thank both of you for joining us uh, this week. Of uh, course, it was a pleasure having you over. Now how, did, how did we do? You, you guys did great. You're, I mean, you're the one who's gonna have to edit all this. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'd... pretty sure Diana blew out her microphone yelling into <laughs> listen, it. So listen, I've been blowing that one out by yelling into it for a year. I I've gotten better. As a co-host, I move away from the microphone when I laugh obnoxiously. Mm, now I think it's I, I think it's dead. Listen, it's so, fine. It's fine. Uh, we're we're gonna go and we're going to make uh, chicken and waffles and play some board games. And uh, thank you, Zach and Becky, for joining us. Thank you guys so much. Yay. Uh, it was a joy to have you on. Thanks for having us. Fun to be here. Yay! Thanks, seriously, guys. Though, thanks for coming over and recording. Also, thank you to our listeners for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you want to hear more about PAX Unplugged, you can check out our PAX Unplugged retrospective from last year. If you want us to go back next year, please make sure to let us know so uh, that we can find more friends to hang out and play games with. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to Zach B, our editor, without whom this show would not get made. <laughs> this I, is still really weird to me that I'm like seeing this in person. Yeah, I just yeah. said that was sustained eye contact. <laughs> yeah, this is really odd. Uh, we also want to say thank you to In Love of the Ghost for the use of the song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. If you like us, please make sure to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please recommend us to your fellow RPG-loving friends. You can follow us on Twitter at HeartPointsPod. If you tweet about us, we would love to see it. You can tag us or hashtag HeartPointsPod. Am I forgetting anything, my wife or my friends? Nope. I'm trying to fly through. I'm so hungry. I'm dying. I'm so hungry. Thank you all again for joining us. And until next time, have a very nice day. But like a very nice one.
Nerds. <laughs>